A word of caution. This episode may contain references to themes that may not be suitable for a younger audience. Parental discretion is advised for anyone under the age of 13. There is much to love about North and South Carolina, but the two states have also had their fair share of violent and senseless crimes over the years. From murders on the Blue Ridge Parkway, in the heart of big cities or sleepy college towns, and along the coastal waters, some of these stories may be new to you. Some may have happened in your town, but all will leave you remembering to always be vigilant about the people you meet and the places you go. I'm Renee Robertson, and this is True Crime in the Carolinas. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of True Crime in the Carolinas. Last week, I discussed the death of Kathleen Peterson and the subsequent arrest and murder trial of her husband, Michael. This week, I want to take a deeper look into the HBO Max scripted series, The Staircase, along with the award-winning documentary that inspired it. This episode contains spoilers from the documentary and the scripted series, so if you haven't seen either one and would like to, I would hold off on listening to this episode until you've had a chance to view them. Let's get started. Episode 44, My Thoughts on the Staircase, both the HBO Max series and the documentary. I've done extensive reading on this case, along with viewing hours of the documentary and HBO series. However, my head is still spinning, and I can't tell you what exactly I believe happened on the night of December 8th, 2001. Usually with cases like these, I feel like I can get a pretty good grasp of the truth. Here, I think that the making of the documentary during the course of the trial served as a distraction. And maybe that's what Michael Peterson wanted all along. It's obvious he's one of those people who craves attention and has a problem with twisting the truth. It was odd to me that he basically had a film crew following him around the entire time he and his defense team prepped him for the 2003 trial, and years after, and he often seemed to relish in the attention. Although in the later updated episodes his demeanor changed and he looked more worn down. That's to be expected after spending so many years in prison. Here's how the Staircase docuseries came to fruition. In 2001, French filmmaker Jean-Xavier de Lestrade won an Academy Award for Best Documentary for Murder on a Sunday Morning. The documentary chronicled a Jacksonville, Florida murder trial where a 15-year-old African-American boy was wrongfully accused of murder. After that, de Lestrade wanted to find a case that would document the criminal justice system in America. He heard about Michael Peterson's upcoming murder trial. And with the help of a producer and conducting some informational interviews, he decided to take on the documentary. I'm sure he had no idea at the time how long he would be attached to the project. According to an article that ran in the Charlotte Observer, written by Theoden Janes and Brooke Kane, De Lestrade and his team released the original eight episodes of the docuseries in 2004. They chronicled Michael's relationship with his family and defense team. The prosecution team decided not to participate in the interviews, and Kathleen's daughter, Caitlin, only appeared briefly in an interview where she shared her belief in Michael's guilt. In 2006, the docuseries received a Peabody Award for Excellence in Storytelling. After the final three episodes were produced, Netflix released the docuseries The Staircase in 2018, earning it a whole new audience and becoming an instant hit for the streaming service. Antonio Campos, 
the showrunner for the HBO Max series, watched the docuseries and became obsessed. He requested a meeting with De La Strade to discuss possibly making a feature film. De La Strade knew Campos had written and directed a film that premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, and he was impressed with his credentials and knowledge of the case. He believed Campos would make a faithful film adaptation. De La Strade eventually sold the rights for the documentary to the Campos production company. In the original contract, he says he included a clause asking that he be credited as a co-executive producer and wanted to be involved in the writing process. After the film idea was sold to HBO's streaming service, De La Strade was never asked to work on any of the scripts. He had no idea how the story would be told. But still, he didn't think Campos would do anything he perceived as unethical. But there's one storyline in particular that De La Strade and others take issue with. That's the character of Sophie Brunet, played by French actress Juliette Binoche. Vanity Fair ran an article last month titled, The Staircase Editor Sophie Brunet on Her Painful Michael Peterson Years and HBO Max's Series. In the article, Brunet says that the HBO Max series showrunner Antonio Campos called her back in 2020 to ask about her experience working on the docuseries. He also asked her about her relationship with Michael, and she shared what she thought were some details among friends. She had met Campos before in Paris when he was meeting with Jean-Xavier de l'Estrade, and again while she was visiting Michael in Durham in 2011. It was her understanding that de l'Estrade trusted Antonio Campos and had given him raw footage to view of the docuseries for research in the scripted series. Brunet said she asked that Campos not make her into a character in the scripted series. She was shocked when she learned she was going to be a character and that Juliette Binoche wanted to meet with her. But by that point, she felt that production was too far along for her to try and request her character be removed from the storyline, so she agreed to sit down with Binoche. Brunet worked as an editor on the first eight episodes of the docuseries before ever meeting Michael Peterson. She says she was only interested in reaching out to him after he was convicted of Kathleen's murder and sentenced to life in prison without parole. She thought the sentence was cruel and a miscarriage of justice. She sent him some books while he was imprisoned and the two began corresponding back and forth, resulting in what she calls an emotional affair. At the time, she was busy working on several other films in Paris. After a year, she traveled to Durham to visit with Michael in prison. Brunet would visit him three or four more times per year after that, believing in the owl theory, I'll discuss that a little later in the episode, and contributing thousands of dollars of her own money to his legal defense fund. She was still involved with him in 2011 when she was hired to edit two additional episodes of the Staircase docuseries. Those episodes covered prison interviews with Michael and the hearing that revealed SBI agent Dwayne Deaver's perjury, resulting in the murder conviction being overturned. She admits she did work on the owl theory on her own, collecting dozens of accounts of owl attacks on people. But none of her findings ever ended up on the docuseries. She had never planned to make her relationship with Michael public, but he convinced her to give an interview to a French reporter explaining the owl theory. Brunet now says she is upset with the way her career is being called into question with the writing on the HBO Max series. She and the team of the docuseries feel that the fictionalized nature of the show is not being properly disclosed to viewers. As of now, 
The mention of the series being fictionalized is only presented after the full credits of each episode are run. A title card appears that reads, This film is a dramatization based on certain facts. Some of the names have been changed and some of the events and characters have been fictionalized or composed for dramatic purposes. It appears on the screen for less than one second. By 2011, she and Michael began to realize their dream of him moving to Paris to be with her probably wouldn't happen. He wanted to remain in Durham and be close to his family. She told Vanity Fair, Michael was not the man he pretended he wanted to be, or he changed too much during that long justice process. She holds no ill will against him now, though, and says she edited the final three episodes of his retrial, chronicling it. De La Strade is also upset about how the role of Sophie Brunet is depicted in the HBO Max series and disputes many of the plot lines. He was not invited to the premiere of the scripted series. He told reporter Theoden Janes that 10 days before the release of the first three episodes, Compost sent him an email that said, I hope you enjoyed the series we made and also appreciate your portrayal of you, Sophie, and Dennis that were performed with a lot of care. Antonio Campos and co-showrunner Maggie Cohn have not responded to any media requests about the show. They do have a companion podcast to the scripted show where they talk about the actors and storylines if you want to check that out. Theoden Janes has also been checking in with Michael Peterson's attorney David Rudolph after each episode of the HBO Max series airs. Rudolph also says he was not consulted by the HBO filmmakers. Here's a rundown of his observations so far. In the first several episodes of the scripted series, Rudolph says the implication that De Lestrade edited the documentary to make a case for Michael's innocence is ludicrous. He says there was plenty of footage that would have helped Michael's case that was not included in the docuseries. The defense team found an Army Criminal Investigation Division agent that claimed there was no blood at the scene of Elizabeth Ratliff's death in Germany. The agent testified at the trial and his testimony directly refuted the two women from Germany who testified that they had seen blood at the scene. Rudolph also says the scenes showing Michael's kids screaming at one another were never filmed. He says he never saw that in person. There may have been tension among the kids, but it was never filmed by the crew with Rudolph present. In episode six, Rudolph was pleased with the way the episode depicted what might have happened if Kathleen had been attacked by a barred owl in their front yard before stumbling inside their house and subsequently falling down the stairs while bleeding and disoriented. He said Michael did tell him he didn't remember the yard decorations being out in the yard the day before, and that he believed Kathleen had taken them out the night before she was attacked. Earlier episodes also showed two other scenarios of what might have happened to Kathleen, from her accidentally falling down the stairs and hitting her head on a sharp edge of the staircase, to Michael strangling and beating her. Rudolph did dispute the storyline that had film editor Sophie Brunet researching the owl theory on her own. He said to his knowledge that never happened. She never met with medical examiner Deborah Radish, and she never called Kathleen's daughter Caitlin to ask her to consider having Kathleen's body exhumed. Rudolph also noted that he never met with Michael when Sophie was with him. In fact, he doesn't believe the two were still seeing one another when Michael decided to agree to the offered plea in February of 2017. Let's take a quick break for a word from our presenting sponsor, Manscaped. 
Support for Missing in the Carolinas is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the performance package. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code MISSINGCAROLINAS at manscaped.com. My husband Daniel is a big advocate of grooming, and I appreciate that so much. So he was happy to try out the products and give his opinion. Daniel, what did you think? Well, as you know, Renee, I was an early adopter of male grooming several years back. Right around the time that movie we love so much came out. What's the name? She's, She's out, out of money. Yeah, that's right. Love that one. So I've tried several products over the years. However, nothing has ever quite worked the way a man really needs. Either the blade nips you or the guard is painful or catches something or the trimmer slips out of the hand in the shower, which is the best place to tidy things up down there, in my opinion. And then, of course, it dies a slow death from getting wet, and I have to go out and buy a new one. But now to the rescue. The Performance Package 4.0 by Manscaped arrived, and oh man, is it a game changer. Now, I've worked in product design and marketing for years, and the quality and performance of the samples Manscaped sent us, the high-end packaging, easy-to-understand product information materials, and overall presentation is some of the best I have experienced. Okay, inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag to hold your goodies. First off, the Lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming and dare I say the greatest ball trimmer ever. I'm blown away by the performance and craftsmanship of this trimmer. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 400K LED spotlight for when you need a more precise shave. Because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. You thought that was good, but want to take your grooming game even further to the next level? The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. Love that! <laughs> the Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin safe technology which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate nose holes. The Crop Preserver Below the Waist Deodorant and Crop Reviver Below the Waist Toner will change the way you approach your daily hygiene routine. Manscaped even threw in two free gift bags to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort in boxers to another level. It's time to take care of yourself, so go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with code MISSINGCAROLINAS. One word, MISSINGCAROLINAS. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code MISSINGCAROLINAS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use MISSINGCAROLINAS. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And now, let's get back to the show. I can't discuss the HBO series without talking about the infamous Al theory. 
Attorney David Rudolph told the Charlotte Observer that attorney Larry Pollard came to him with the owl theory the weekend before he was supposed to give closing arguments in the Peterson trial in 2003. Rudolph told him it was too late at that point to introduce it as new evidence, and Pollard was disappointed. When he decided to go public with his theory, after Michael had already been convicted. At the time, he had no support to back this up, and the public and media made a joke out of it. Eventually, the news article about two men being attacked by an owl was published, and more experts gave credence to Pollard's theory. Before the retrial hearing in 2010, Pollard wanted Rudolph to file a motion based on the owl, but Rudolph thought he had a stronger chance by introducing the evidence about SBI agent Dwayne Deaver's perjury, so that won out. Here are some of my thoughts on both the docuseries and the HBO Max series. First of all, I think it was misleading and confusing to title the HBO series with the same name. I've seen a few online discussions where people didn't realize they were two different things, and they thought the HBO show was the same one on Netflix. I'm not sure why the showrunners decided to do that, but I'm sure the producers of the docuseries take issue with it too. I enjoyed the first few episodes of the docuseries, but right around episode six, I felt like it got bogged down with all the trial footage. I think true crime documentaries walk a slippery slope when including trials, and this was the case with The Staircase. Let's face it, murder trials can be tedious and long-winded. I did also feel that the docuseries came across as biased towards Michael Peterson's innocence, but as David Rudolph explained, that's probably because it was only his defense team and family that were in the majority of the interviews. I believe the docuseries could have presented the relevant information in probably half the episodes. I did find it interesting that the additional episodes featured an interview with Judge Orlando Hudson Jr., where he stated that he believed the introduction of Elizabeth Ratliff's death in Germany and Michael Peterson's bisexuality could be considered prejudicial in the trial. He seemed like he had second thoughts about allowing that information to be introduced. I have to agree. I can see why prosecutors wanted to include the information about Elizabeth Ratliff, but there were so many conflicting statements about how much blood was at the scene and what her body looked like when it was found. I take issue with the fact that the Durham County Medical Examiner was the one who analyzed the condition of Ratliff's body after it was exhumed. If I had been a juror in the trial, I would have felt better about the autopsy being performed by an independent medical examiner without ties to the Kathleen Peterson case. As for the HBO Max scripted series, I enjoyed the acting and star power featured with Colin Firth and Tony Collette playing Michael and Kathleen Peterson. It took me a few episodes to realize Arnold Schwarzenegger's son Patrick plays Michael Peterson's son Todd. Overall, I felt like the acting was good. What I do have problems with is the dramatization of the Peterson family, especially Michael and Kathleen's kids. As a parent myself, I can't imagine how my kids would feel if they were in a similar situation and their personal lives were written for entertainment. There's a whole storyline featuring daughter Martha's sexual orientation, and I'm still trying to figure out why that was relevant to the story. There was a salacious scene showing Michael Peterson having sex with a man in the back room of an adult video store, and again, I felt like that was unnecessary, but I chalked it up to this being an HBO production. 
Michael Peterson has said the HBO filmmakers pulled material from his two memoirs, but I'm not sure which information he's referring to since I haven't read the books. Along with Jean-Xavier de Lestrade, I think it's wrong that the HBO series hasn't made more of a distinction that the show is inspired by true events, but not all true events. Here are my final thoughts on this case. I do not believe Kathleen Peterson knew that Michael was having sex with men outside their marriage. In one of the interviews in the docuseries, Michael discussed his bisexuality and admitted that he realized it at a young age, but he grew up during a time period when it just wasn't accepted, especially if you were serving in the military. I think he enjoyed being a father and living the traditional American suburban life, but he also wanted to indulge his fantasies. He made it sound in the interview like Kathleen knew about this bisexuality, but that they just didn't talk about it. I'm not sure his marriage to Kathleen would have survived in the long run, given the stressors they had. I also think Michael's attorney, David Rudolph, made a mistake having his trial in Durham. This was a high-profile case, and Michael was well-known in the community. The media had covered Kathleen's death extensively. He might have had a different outcome with a change of venue. I think the story has been featured so many different places because it has had a lot of plot twists, just like a feature film. But at the end of the day, we all have to realize there are real people being portrayed in the adaptation, and this can't be easy for them to relive over and over. The Raleigh News and Observer pulled together a list of other places this case has been featured. A 2006 episode of Forensic Files was called A Novel Idea. There was a 2007 Lifetime movie titled The Staircase Murders. An episode of the NBC sitcom called Trial and Error aired in March of 2017. Dateline premiered an episode titled Down the Back Staircase in April of 2017. An April 2018 three-part series was produced by the Investigation Discovery Channel called American Murder Mystery The Staircase. The Dr. Phil Show aired two interviews with Michael Peterson in April of 2019. Dr. Oz interviewed Michael Peterson and his first wife, Patricia, in October 2019. As far as podcasts, the podcast Criminal featured an interview with attorney Larry Pollard about this theory that an owl caused Kathleen's fatal wounds in animal instincts. Beyond Reasonable Doubt featured an interview with Pollard in 2017. My Favorite Murder discussed the case on their 100th episode. In addition to the two memoirs Michael Peterson has written, true crime author Diane Fanning released a book in 2005 titled Written in Blood, and Aphrodite Jones published A Perfect Husband in 2013. There is one episode remaining for the HBO Max scripted series The Staircase. The finale will be airing next week on June 9th. This brings us to the conclusion of this week's episode of True Crime in the Carolinas. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so be sure to leave a comment on the social media post about it this week. I'd also like to do an Ask Me Anything episode this summer, where I answer questions about the podcast and missing persons cases and crimes in the Carolinas. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on a future episode, email it to missinginthecarolinas at gmail.com. Would you like to buy me a coffee? I'll take a cold brew with oat milk anytime, thank you very much. But seriously, since this is an independently produced podcast, I'm looking into various crowdfunding platforms. Right now, I'm working on creating a new website that will be much more functional and interactive and include bonus content. I'm really excited about it. 
I've listed a fundraising goal over at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Renee Robertson to help me cover the cost of the new site. I'll put a link in the show notes. This isn't a subscription service, although I'm considering creating one through Patreon. For now, you can donate as little or as much as you like. Every little bit helps, and I'd like to give a heartfelt thanks to everyone who's already contributed. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and give it a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're also now on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, so please like our pages and get started on a discussion of the missing people profiled on the show. Cover art for this podcast was designed by Macintosh Multimedia. All episodes are researched and written by me, Renee Robertson, with sound editing provided by Mia Robertson. Thanks so much for listening.